Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, the truth. Where there is doubt, the faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. But he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Well, what does that look like? He says, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we had these three young men who we are raising up to follow these commands today, they read to us that the world will know that we are his followers if we love one another. That's how the world is going to identify us as Jesus followers is if we love one another. And so Greg last week spoke uh, to that. And this week I'm going to fill that in. And I'm, I came to Jimmy about three weeks ago. Um, and in his office shed tears and just at the, the state of our country. Uh, and so Jimmy in typical fashion said, man, that's great. Let's pray about that. And we did. And I love Jimmy for that. And then two weeks later he throws it on my desk and says, take care of it. Okay, so, uh, so I'm going to see if, uh, what we could do. Uh, I have a friend of mine, his name is uh, Jevin Sloan. Uh, we were at ACU together. We played on the ACU soccer team together. Um, Jevin is of Arab descent. And uh, he, him and Michelle got married, and they actually live right next door to the house where Cindy and I were uh, uh, living at. I think it was our second house after we'd gotten married, and we were living right here. They were living right there. Uh, a neat guy, neat guy, and uh, Jevin has uh, often joked on uh, Facebook and social media at uh, getting pulled over by the police uh, about going through airports and how that's always an exciting adventure for him. Uh, Jevin is a committed follower of Jesus, and him and Michelle have had foster children in their home, and they have adopted um, uh, two of the of the children and made them in, put them into their forever family. And now they're raising them up to be like Jesus. There's a lot of things that I admire about Jevin. Uh, he's a funny guy, uh, but he's also will bring truth. And the other day it touched my heart whenever he, he wrote this on a post. I've never in my life witnessed such a contentious debate over who should assume one of the most important leadership positions on the planet. Both sides are convinced that they are correct and remain unyielding. Families are divided. Parents are turning their backs on their children. And friendships are ending. What is this world coming to? But there is only one clear choice for the rational, forward-thinking mind. I love Romo, but it's time to embrace the Dak era. <laughs> I, hashtag I'm with Dak. Hashtag make the Cowboys great again. 
Hashtag Bigly D. <laughs> Devin is a committed Dallas Cowboy fan. Jevin, sorry. Um, and so as we, as we approach today and we talk about the state of our world right now, we have more refugees in our world right now than we have had before. There are more people enslaved in the world right now than there has been for the time we have been on this planet. And we are in a world that also includes our nation, which is being ravished by racial tensions. And we live in a world in which refugees are getting shipped one place and then another and not knowing where they're going to land. So I bring this message about loving one another and not trying to isolate ourselves, but trying to immerse ourselves in the struggle that we're in right now. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given me to, to look at your words, uh, to hear them, uh, to seek your face and, and what it means for us here as we look to, to be transformed into, into your likeness through connecting with you and your salvation and your grace and through sharing that grace with one another. Father, today I pray for Justin Vogt and D.R. Coleman who lead uh, the FCA and the SWAG ministry. In this town, uh, when it reaches people uh, with the gospel that this congregation is not reaching, I pray that you bless their efforts and their families as they help form young men and women into the image of Christ, as they face a world that wants to divide believers based on color, economics, culture, and nationality, Father. Give them the strength and your wisdom and your influence for the glory of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the favorite movies that came out about a decade ago that many people have seen and it, you just leave fired up about is Remember the Titans. And Coach Boone comes out and he is the new black head coach at T.C. Williams, a high school that has recently integrated. And Coach Yost, the former coach, uh, is a white man. And he says, you know what, you could come and you can be my assistant coach. And so together they're going to do this thing, but they begin to do things different. And if you've seen the movie, you see them come together at training camp uh, where they become... Uh, agile, hostile, and mobile, and they begin to take on team after team after team to the state championship. And it's a great feel-good story as you leave the, the movie and you see the power of sports, you see the power of being united regardless of your heritage, regardless of the color of your skin. And it's such a powerful story whenever we come and we, we see that, we say, see, it can be done. It can be done, and, and, and T.C. Williams right there is a great example, that high school, of how that came together. But if you will Google Virginia's T.C. Williams High School and the town in which they lived in, you will see that today that city is as segregated or if not more segregated than it was at the time of the movie. That's sad. How many of you just ruined the movie for you? I mean, that's sad because you leave there and you go, oh yeah, see, they've got it right. And what I want to remind you is the bond that they had was something that is fleeting. It was sports. It was a football team. It was a game. 
But isn't there something more that we can pursue? So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. And let's see if there is something more. While you're, while you're flipping around, I do want to give a special thanks to Greg who uh, got these young men to practice uh, the, the reading of God's word so we could hear his truth loud and clear. And I hope that you didn't just hear the gospel, but you saw it in the faces of those young men. Also, thank you, Garrett, for reading who we now know as Francis of Assisi's words as he struggled to be a part of a solution to the problems in our world. In Acts chapter 10, we find a crazy story about um, Peter going up on a roof. He's hungry, um, and all of a sudden he gets this uh, vision while they're preparing a meal, and Cornelius, who is a Gentile, uh, has a vision, says, send for Peter. They go get Peter, uh, and he goes in, and he has a meal at um, Cornelius' home. So right now we are, um, and, and as he does that, he sees uh, they experience salvation, they give their lives to God, and all of a sudden he sees the, the, the experience that the Holy Spirit has graced Gentiles with. And Peter, through the vision that he had had, realized that this was God's way now. That God wanted to cross cultural barriers. And so we see the conversion of Paul as he sees, man, you know what? The world needs to be more open to different people. And then we see Cornelius' conversion as he gives his life to God. And the Holy Spirit comes. And then Peter says, well, they have the Holy Spirit. They need to be baptized. So they're baptized. But in chapter 11 we see a different conversion. It's the conversion of the church. The people who are following God now get converted. Let's look at uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, that means people who were not Jews, also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, meaning the Jews, they criticized him and said, you went to the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, isn't it crazy how fast controversial news travels? All he did was eat one ham sandwich, and that's all they wanted to talk about. Forget about the baptisms. Let's forget about the conversions. Let's forget that they're seeing that the Spirit of God is moving and active the issue was that you crossed a barrier that we are not going to cross. Now, it doesn't say that any of the other disciples, any of the twelve joined in in the criticism. But we're talking about Peter. We're talking about one of Jesus' closest friends. We're talking about the man who preached the first gospel sermon. And it doesn't say that the other disciples did anything to join in. But it certainly doesn't say that they did anything to stop it. And we do that to ourselves as believers. We take these pot shots at each other. And he has no one who's standing up for him. But here's what it does say. Peter responds to the criticism by telling his story. He tells them what happened. He retells a story that 
the scripture already has right there in Acts uh, chapter 10. So he tells the story again and he points out, he doesn't spend time pointing out his accuser's faults. He doesn't criticize those who are criticizing him. He doesn't try to give them a list of, a list of 17 reasons why what he's doing right. He tells them the story. He doesn't even have to remind them of his credentials. He is Peter. Peter's decision to tell his story and the church's decision to listen to his story was one that changed the face of the church of Jesus Christ. You can read it for yourself right there in 11. When you read it, notice that Peter continues to give credit to God. The Holy Spirit did this. God told me this. God showed me this. People, the Spirit called people into so Listen to the words of Peter as he talks about what God is doing in the story of God. And he doesn't make a point to justify who Cornelius was. If you read chapter 10, it says he was a good man. It says he was a righteous man. He gave sacrifices to God and he helped the poor. It doesn't, he doesn't take the time because, you know, um, there are a few good ones out there. And, uh, you know, those, those Gentiles, you know what they're like. There's a few of them that are good ones out there. And, and he's one of the good ones. No, because the issue is not Cornelius. The issue is the agenda of God. We see later in, in the uh, book of Acts, as Luke continues to tell the story, that he hits the rewind button and tells about the followers of Jesus that have been scattered and persecuted when, Jeru- when the persecution in Jerusalem broke out. Let's look at verse 19 right there in verse, uh, chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed... They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some then, some of them, however, were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks and telling them that the good news, uh, telling them all about the good news of the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see... This controversy, again, was not about Cornelius. The issue in the church of Jerusalem that they were facing wasn't about salvation. It was about reconciliation. In verse 3, you can see that they criticized Peter. You went into the house and ate with them. They didn't say, you preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They didn't say, you baptize the Gentiles. They said you ate with him. You reconciled. You have relationship with one of, fill in the blank, them. This is not about who could come to the baptistry. It was who is welcome at your table. Rick actually tells a story that he grew up in a church of Christ that supported a missionary that went to uh, that lived in Africa. And up on the bulletin board, they had pictures of uh, Africans being baptized. And this this bulletin board was a beauty. It was just nicely decorated and everything. But he had the sense that the church that he was in had a racial bent because there were no people of color where he worshipped. How can he make sense, he said, 
of a gospel that welcomes all to God's salvation but does not share a brotherly reconciliation with one another? How can we make sense of the fact that we don't mind people getting saved? We just don't want to share our lives with them. How does that make any sense? That's a false gospel and an inadequate gospel. And it's a gospel that preaches salvation but not reconciliation. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross. It wasn't just to make things right with God. It was to make things right with each other. The church in Jerusalem needed some more conversion. They needed to understand that the discipleship meant not limiting our fellowship. They needed to learn that Jesus isn't just building a church where anyone can enter the water. It's a church where everyone can come to the table. The church is God's answer to what has been the biggest problem we've had since the Tower of Babel. Where racial, national, and any other kind of divisive word you want to use has been used by Satan to separate us and to keep us apart. And instead of appreciating one another, we depreciate our differences, even among God's people. There is a vertical, one of the beauties of the cross is that there is a vertical part of the cross. It is an up and down relationship with God, between man and God. But the other part of the cross is that there is a horizontal relationship. It goes from one to the other. It is a personal relationship with one person to the next person. And so as we live out this gospel, we can't just live out and say, hey, I'm saved. But hey, I'm sharing God's grace with one another. I find it extremely interesting, and I've, I've been thinking about this part of it, is that when Jesus carried the cross, most historians suspect that all that he carried on the cross was the cross beam because the, the vertical beam was one that was already uh, up there and it was um, big and heavy and obviously nobody could carry that, but they would carry the cross beam. If you Google Simon of Cyrene, a third to half of the pictures depict Simon who, when Jesus fell down, the Roman centurion went and grabbed a man out of the crowd, whose name was Simon of Cyrene, and said, you carry the cross for him. That man is depicted as a person of color. I find it very interesting that historians would see that. I find it very interesting that that we would know that, that Simon was, was from Cyrene, and that we would see that it is a man who comes from a different place that is helping Jesus carry his cross let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 let's flesh this out a little bit Ephesians chapter 2 says this and this is the new living translation version but now you belong to Christ Jesus at one time you were far away from God now you have been brought close to him Christ did this uh, for you when he gave his blood on the cross we have peace because of Christ. He has made the Jews and those who are not Jews one people. He broke down the wall that divided them. He stopped the fighting between them by his death on the cross. He put an end to the law. Then he made the 
out of the two people, one kind of people like himself. In this way, he made peace. He brought both groups together to God. Christ finished the fighting between them by his death on the cross. It's not just about salvation for mankind. It is the uniting of mankind that happened on the cross. And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I see it as only a, it, this is a salvation issue. Am I right with God? But Paul even makes it clear in his letters that it is about your reconciliation with one another. Jesus even makes that clear when he teaches people how to pray. The book of Revelation says this. It says, every tongue and every tribe are going to gather. God is going to bring all nations and all cultures into his kingdom. In this grand dream of the kingdom of God, Jesus expresses it over and over. Our cultures and our heritage are not erased, but they're meant to be embraced and enjoyed. In the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus. It's a beautiful dream. It's a beautiful thing when the church on earth is a preview of what the church is going to be like in heaven. The great banquet that God is calling us to in heaven. So let's go back to the first half of chapter 11 in the book of Acts. And it was the first church that crossed racial lines. Now, it wasn't the first Gentile who had been saved. But this is the first church that purposefully and continually crossed the cultural lines of Jews and Gentiles. And people of different colors and of different places, different heritage came together. And in verse 22 of chapter 11, it says this. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They wanted to go check out to see what had happened. This is after they gave uh, Peter the lecture. When he arrived, they saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and encouraged. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What's incredible is as these things continue to happen, and as people say they witnessed what was happening, people continued to be brought to the Lord. The the conversion of Jerusalem was just that. It was a conversion. They saw that when the cross was lifted up, it had a vertical and it had a horizontal dimension. It went up, but it also went out. When the cross is lifted up and those racial lines then came down. The community could not ignore what they were seeing because they were not seeing anything like this before. They couldn't stop baptizing people. And as you read through the chapter again, it wasn't something that was mysterious that was happening. There was a very practical reason for what was happening. The community was witnessing something that was different, something that we cannot do without the power of God. There is no reason for you to love somebody else who is different than you without the power of God. That is the power of God's Spirit within us that calls us to live a life that appreciates people that are different, that gives your life for people of a different color. If you want to begin to teach your kids how to do that, my son has read about 47,000 times a wonderful book called If I Were in Thailand. And if you would like a copy, my friend Chris, Chris, where you at? 
He's laughing. He's like, I can't believe he's doing this. Chris wrote an incredible book that talks about kids learning about different cultures and appreciating one another. It's a great book. God bless you and write some more, man. We cannot limit the power of the gospel and say it's just a salvation issue. Because it's not. The cross is also about reconciliation. John 17, 22 and 23 says this. This is Jesus' final prayer that Jimmy continues to remind us of. He, the, Jesus prayed about uh, this and he says this. That they may be one as we are one. He's talking to God. He's saying that people, that believers would be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, that you loved me. And uh, that you sent me and loved them, even as I have loved them. And it says this. So that we can get this point right here. Listen to this. The world will recognize Jesus' identity through our unity. The way that they're going to see that this is real, that we are Jesus' followers, is in the way that we express it with people who are different than us. They're not going to see it otherwise. If we are going to wear his name, we cannot ignore that prayer. The church in Antioch was the first place where followers of Jesus were called what? You catch that? The church in Antioch that crossed lines was the first place where they're called Christians, as Jimmy reminds us over and over again. Now, there were people, Jews, who were following the way, which was the way that Yeshua, Jesus, had said, I am the way now. So they were following him, and they called him the way. But this is the first time that people take on the name of Jesus and wear it as themselves. When they were crossing barriers that weren't meant to be crossed from the world's point of view. In that story that Rick actually was telling about the church that had the pictures of Africans being baptized, he talks about a lady, one of the matriarchs of the church. She walked up to that bulletin board and said, I don't mind all of them getting baptized. I just don't like the idea of all of those, and she used the N-word, being up in heaven with me. And Rick says, I was a young boy, but I remember thinking to myself, lady, you don't worry about it. You got nothing to worry about. A few months later, Rick Ashley preached his first sermon. And if you don't know who Rick Ashley is, he's the lead minister at the Hills Church of Christ up in Fort Worth, Texas. Congregation very influential within the Churches of Christ. Thousands of members. He preached his first uh, sermon. And it was had six points. And the third one was that racism was sin. And if you participate in it, you're going to hell. That was Rick Ashley's, one of our fellowship's greatest preachers, first sermons. And there was an emergency elders meeting. 
And a week later, he was informed that he would not be allowed to preach again at his church. A little aside is that um, the youth minister at this congregation was one Greg Cummings at the time. And Greg was helping mold and shape this young man uh, into Christ. And so I asked Greg, is that story true? And he said, yep. And there was an emergency elders meeting. And he did finally get to pre- he did finally get to preach again. Good. And Greg and Debbie moved on to another church after a few years, and so did Rick actually. But that church closed their doors. Rick attributes this to you know what? If we're not going to follow his mission, we can't bear his name. We can't carry his name. People cannot see your identity as a Christ follower if you are not willing to live the life that he has called you to. And most of us agree with a lot that I've said so far. And that's kind of what happens whenever we preach about this. But the problem is that right here we stop at, but I am not adding to the problem. I am not part of the problem. I don't use that word. I work with somebody who's of a different race than I am. But is that what Jesus has called us to? Just don't make it worse? Or does Jesus call us to make it better? See, I think that the mission of God comes whenever he says, join me. And I need somebody who's going to do something. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, As he's speaking to Peter, the same Peter who years later will get accused about crossing cultural barriers. It's crazy how years before this, Jesus looks at this fallen, broken man and says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. The man who is about to cross cultural barriers and he has no idea that he's about to do it. That's the one who he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, cannot prevail against it. And what I want to remind us of today is that gates are a defensive piece of warfare. It is not an offensive weapon. It is a defensive weapon. And so the illustration that Jesus has given from the beginning is that hell cannot stand against the power of the Spirit. And one of the places that my Spirit is going to take you is that we are going to cross boundaries that you don't want to cross and that the world doesn't want you crossing, but their gates cannot stop it. And that is the Spirit that Jesus spoke into Peter and that we now have in us. And it's our job to participate Not just in the salvation of people, but to be active. And not just to say, you know what, but I'm not adding to the problem, but to go forward and say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of the solution. Many of you grew up in a generation who said, I want to make a difference. I want to be a part of the solution. And if there's ever a time that this world that has more slaves than it has had throughout its entire history, if there's ever a time in a world where we have refugees that are running from places where they are getting slaughtered, if there's ever a time that our nation needs people to stand up because there are men and women who are getting killed and there is tension between races there's ever time 
It's now. There's a false narrative that we're being sold. See, we have to choose whether black lives matter or blue lives matter. And that is the lie that the world is trying to sell us right now. And I think we're mostly smart enough in here to say that that is a lie. But when we look at it and say, well, I'm just going to say all lives matter, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with saying all lives matter. And here's the deal. If I called the fire department and said, hey, come help me. My house is on fire. And if they said in response, well, you know, all houses matter. I would feel like somebody is not hearing some pain that is very real. And we have to realize that black lives do matter. And we got to realize that blue lives do matter. And we got to realize that refugee lives do matter. We have to realize that the lives of the people who are not getting heard, they matter. Amen. Amen. There's a quote a friend of mine sent me as I start to wrap up here. It's from a book called this, when you got friends here in grad work, they send you strange things. It says, Choosing the Good, Christian Ethics in a Complex World by Dennis Hollinger. But it says this, Social sin surveys says that sin takes root and it hangs on. Social sin takes root and hangs on. This is a part of what it means to say that all human beings are sinners. But social sins particularly survive and take root and hang on because, and this is where we're trapped, social sins hang on because people benefit from those sins. Often without being willing or able to notice that either that they are sinning or that they are benefiting from this social sin. And in our world and in our country and because of our history and because of who we are, there are patterns that we follow. There are things that we do just because that's the way my parents always did. There are things that we say because that's what my family says. There are places we don't go because we don't go there that we are trapped in. John Newton wrote the words of Amazing Grace. After years of being not only a slave trader but the captain of a slave trading ship as he would go up the river in Africa kidnap people bring them to be sold in Charleston and as people would make wages uh, or make bets or or, or place place a, a bid on how much a human life was worth that was John Newton's life and years later he turned to the gospel And he wrote the words, amazing grace, because of his great sin. But here's the thing. He could stop there, but he didn't. He began to join uh, William Wilberforce in abolishing slavery, which is a great thing. But here's the thing. That came at a cost because his country benefited from the oppression of a different kind of people. That sin benefited him socially, benefited him financially, And it also benefited him in his name. That actually gave him some standing among some people. That he had been a slave trader. 
So here's how we're going to respond to this. We're not going to be trapped by this. But we need to listen to somebody else's story. We need to get to a place where we can be in place where we can hear somebody else who's different, their story. And when we hear the story, you know what? It's not time to say, well, our country's not like that anymore. It's not time to say, you shouldn't feel like that anymore. It's to own that story and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what's happening. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm in with you. I am your brother. I am your sister. We validate that story. Second thing we can do is we lead with grace. Barnabas could have split that church up in Antioch. He could have said, that's it, we're doing this. But he went and he led with grace. What would it be like? What would it be like if we looked at those who are different than us and looked at what was right instead of what was wrong? Former President Bush said it this way at the funeral of the slain officers in Dallas a few months ago. Too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. Sometimes you find truth and it's not in the Bible. Too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. See, part of the thing is we are not doing enough listening to one another. We do too much scrolling on Facebook. And what is the latest article? And it's a, it's a truth that you already know this. You get cyber followed when you click on a link on your computer or on your phone. And so the next day, two more on your social media feed, two more stories just like that appear again. And so you just continue in the cycle of thinking the same way that you did. Make a statement is the last thing I'm going to say. Let's make a statement that we are different because of the blood of Jesus. That we are going to cross these bounds. That the same spirit that Jesus spoke into Peter is the same spirit that it lives in us today. Man, there's a lot of illustrations, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you this one. Fred Rogers was an ordained minister. We all know him as Mr. Rogers. And he made an intentional statement. He hired Frank, Francis Clemens. To be the first black person to continue to appear on a regularly uh, scheduled children's uh, program. One of the days, it was a very hot day. Mr. Rogers was sitting there with his feet in the pool. And he said, Officer Clemens, as he walked up. And he invited him to come sit and put his feet in the pool. Officer Clemens was surprised and he was like, Fred, do you know what you're doing? You're asking me to put my black skin in the same water that your white skin is in. And he did anyways. Mr. Rogers helped dry his feet off afterwards. And at the end of the program, he said what he usually says. He says, you make every day a special day just by being you. And I like you just the way you are. 
afterwards, Francis came up to him and said, Fred, were you talking to me? Mr. Rogers looked at him and said, Francis, I've been talking to you for years, but today you finally heard me. So my question to you is, what are you saying that can be heard? What are you saying in our nation right now that wants you to be divided? What are you saying that is going to be heard? Who in your life needs to hear that message? Will you use your position to make a statement for the kingdom of God? If you're a student and you're in school, will you cross the barrier and share friendship with somebody who doesn't look like you? If you're a person of color that's joined us this morning, would you make a statement? And maybe when you are eating at a restaurant, go and pay for the meal of an officer. Or go out of your way to shake the hand of an officer and thank them for serving your community. Or maybe by making a meal and taking it to the local police station. And if your skin looks like mine, will you silence the voices that make cuts at other races? Will you silence the voices who say those little phrases? Will you stand up for those who are not around to defend their culture? Will you ask God who needs to hear, whose story you need to hear? Because I want to live in a world where no one has to worry if they are unarmed and have their hands raised that they're going to get shot. I want to live in a world where you don't have to wonder if the color of your skin is going to affect the quality of your education or your opportunity for employment or a loan in your home. I want to live in a world where if you have the courage to put on a badge, you are treated with honor and with esteem. But if you misuse that position, you are held accountable. I want to live in a world where every single person is created by God is treated with value and dignity. White life, black life, brown life, immigrant life, illegal immigrant life, refugee life, unborn life. I want my kids to inherit that kind of world. I want whenever my kids, grandkids, ask them, why is the world different? They say, because the Christians made a difference. The Christians stood up when our nation was being torn apart and they crossed the barrier that the world put between them. The world is not going to change no matter who gets in that White House. If what we're doing in our house and in this house isn't different. It doesn't matter who we elect. They are not going to solve our problems. But our children's children and grandchildren pray they stand up and they say it's because the Christians made a difference they had the spirit of God and he took them in places they didn't want to go and they sacrificed out of their own means and you can read that in the final story of Acts chapter 11 the people gave to other people crossing boundaries of racial division 
out of faith that God would provide for them. Father, take these words. Thank you for Rick Ashley who inspired me to say, uh, to tell his story. Thank you for the men and women in this room of different colors. Father, thank you for my heritage as a kid from Alabama growing up seeing racial division. Father, I pray that you would help us raise a generation. That we're not telling what to do, but we're showing what to do. And as they lead their lives and raise their families, following your example and following the Spirit's lead, that this country that is racially divided, that this world that is religiously divided and hating one another, that this world that is full of refugees and slaves will give the testimony that it was the Christians who shared salvation with them, not just in the water, but at the table of the great banquet. We thank you for your love. Help us to share it. Search our hearts, Lord. Search our hearts. Use whatever strength you've given us to be an influence for your kingdom and to cross boundaries that our nation needs us to cross right now for the sake of your kingdom. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What we're going to do right now is I'm going to invite you to stand. And as our song of invitation and dismissal, we're going to sing... uh, Pick whichever one of those you want to. Let us be faithful. We're going to sing Let Us Be Faithful to that call. So if you need to pick up your kids, you can do that right now. Sorry I went a little little long today. It's a message that uh, I'm a little passionate about right now. Uh, So let's sing as we respond and ask God to help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful.